Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Today, I'm joined by Neil Robinson from Horden and Durham, who lost his partner, Susan Porter, to COVID-19 on May the 1st. She was 58 years old. Welcome, Neil. Morning. Thank you for joining the podcast. It's a pleasure. I just wanted to ask you what Susan was like as a person, if you could describe her. She was lovely. Anybody she ever met, they instantly fell in love with her. She was that sort of person. She she could. She could talk to her managing director and she'd talk to somebody sleeping in the in a shop doorway. That's the sort of person she was. Happy and smiley. You, you said that she had um, a real positivity. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. She was the most positive person that she could pick out a positive note from anything. Any situation, didn't matter how bad it was, she'd find positivity in it. And her most lovable quality? <sighs> if you could I single mean, something out, probably quite hard, yeah. I'm sure. It's just an infectious okay. enthusiasm for everything and, and a love. And tell me, you had an interesting history together because you were childhood sweethearts, weren't you? Yeah, well, teenage sweethearts, not not childhood, yes. but you know, I suppose. Yeah. You were you were teenage sweethearts. Tell me yeah. about that. Well, we, I, I was thinking about it actually, and, and we we got together through uh, somebody that I dated, set us up on a blind date with Susan, and then it sort of went from there. We were together for a couple of years, which. When you're that young, it's it's a bit crazy and mad, but it was lovely. What was and, uh, this, what was the teenage Susan like? <laughs> she's never changed. She was she's always been the same. Always been the same. In fact, from being a little she's a little, little child, she was like always. She would always talk to anybody, have a laugh with anybody, any level. She's lovely. Can you remember a happy memory from that time when you were dating as teenagers? Is there uh, something that stands out for you? A yes, please. <laughs> we, we used to go to, um, when we were caught and didn't have anywhere to, like, anywhere to go, she used to pinch the keys to her mum and dad's caravan. And we used to, like, there was a local caravan park about five miles down the road called Crimden, Crimden Caravan Park. So we used to go down there and do a, a bit of, little bit of caught and down there. So one, one day I, I had an old mini something wrong with the starter motor so you had a bump started in reverse to get or you had a bump started to get it going so this one day i said well oh god the car won't start again what, what we're going to do well you're going to have to drive i'll push the car so she was we were trying to bump start the car in reverse because it's easier to bump start the car in reverse and she reversed into a caravan <laughs> she reversed into a, like a neighbor's caravan so i says what we're going to do she says well, we'll have to go. So we went, but then because of 
because of the way Susan's nature is, we had to go back and apologise for doing it. And, and the people the people were really lovely about it. And we actually ended up staying for our Sunday lunch. <laughs> that was oh, that's like, lovely. That was, it was, and it was, but it was a nice thing. It was nice. A lovely memory. And so you parted ways and then describe what happened then. Yeah, then then so I sort of went my way, got married, had two children. Susan went her way, got married, had a son. And then basically one, one day I was walking along the road and bumped into Susan, it was approximately, we'd never seen each other for, I would say, over 10 years, about 12 years, we'd never seen any seen each other. And we bumped in, into each other and it was like, it was just like back to where we were again. It, it was like we'd never been with other partners Obviously, my my marriage had broken down. Susan's wasn't going particularly well. Well, my my marriage was finished. I was separated by that time. Susan's wasn't going particularly well, and then that was thirty year thirty year ago in August. And we've been together since. And tell me, how quickly did that happen? Did you was it within weeks or months? It was it within three months? I think three months from meeting nature that they actually. Susan moved into my house. So it must have been a very strong connection. Yeah. Yeah. How would you describe that connection? It was just like it was supposed to be. It was like we'd gone back 12 years, but there wasn't a gap. Do you know what I mean? And those 30 years then together, how would you sum those up? Yeah, she was, they were just lovely. I mean, obviously, obviously, we we're a couple, and we're not going to say eye to eye over everything. But it's it's just she was just a crazy person, and she was there. I mean, if we were both like, if if I was like Susan, we probably it probably wouldn't have worked. But because I'm, I was the quieter person in the relationship. It seemed to work. It worked. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And but she was like, just. Full of life, always full of life. This is why, why, why I can't comprehend what's happened because of the amount of life she had in her. Yes. What do you miss about her the most on a daily basis? Oh, it's just she's always she she was always smiling, and she'd come in from work and it would be she would be smiling. She'd go out to work, she would be smiling, and it's sort of it's like it like innocence, but in a I don't know how I can explain it. It's innocence in a positive way. That doesn't make sense, does it? She she would like be a manager of this shop, but then she would be totally not know what's happening day to day. Um, she was like a whirlwind. It was everywhere she was. It was it was a whirlwind. She'd she'd always be talking. The house is so quiet without her. Even she'd be talking on the phone to her mum. Uh, sorry, well, her mum before her mum passed away. But she'd come in, she'd phone, she'd speak to her dad on the phone, she'd speak to her cousin on the phone, she'd speak to her best mate on the phone. So it's a voice in the background all the time. And even when she had a, the own dressing room upstairs and she'd be sitting in a dressing room and she'd be talking and I'd be thinking, well, I, I'd say, are you talking to me? And she'd say, no, I'm just thinking. <laughs> So she was always talking, even when she was thinking, she was talking her thoughts to herself. And that, that's, I miss that a lot as well. 
You miss talking to her, really, and hearing yeah. her voice. And I would love to hear her snoring again. <laughs> You'd love to hear her snoring. Yeah. <laughs> Did you used to complain about that? Yeah, but to be fair, I was just as good a snorer as what Jay was. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's saying something. You'd love to hear her snoring again. Yeah. <laughs> Can you think of, um, or do you have a hold a, a treasured memory of your time together? There's so much to choose from because there's just there's, there's just so many things to choose from. We've had that much. Can you describe how she fell ill? Can you tell me what happened? So. On the roundabout there, like I've like I've previously said, she was a manager at Monsoon, so they were obviously they they knew that they were having to close the shop down, the the shops down because of COVID nineteen. So they were on closing the shops down. There would be the twenty third, the weekend of the twenty first of March. They finished it. They they were closing the shop down, and then they've got an email saying they've got to put all the all the Claws into the warehouse out the way in case of looting. They'd finished that on the twenty second. She come home and she she was all right actually. The twenty third was the day that we were told we had to go into lockdown. I was off the twenty fourth. The twenty fifth, she started to feel a bit poorly. That was the Thursday. The Friday, she felt a bit worse, and she rang Sunday. She rang. One 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 told them that she was feeling really poorly, and then they, they give her the the normal script that if you have a bad cough, you if you have a cough or sore throat, you've got to stop in the house. What what were her symptoms? I mean, you know, how was she, she had, in those days? She was feeling really tired. She had a sore throat. No, actually, no, she didn't have a sore throat. She had a cough. She started to get a cough. She lost the sense of taste and the sense of smell. And like I say, and then on the Sunday, she felt really, really lethargic on the Sunday. And she was starting to get temperatures on the Sunday, chills on the Sunday. She rang 111. They told her just to take paracetamol. On the Monday, she rang the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, well, it sounds as though you've got the classic symptoms of COVID-19. You'll have to ring me at work because I'm I, we, I've still been working. So she had to ring me, and I had to come home and self isolate with her. That week was she was that well, she was she was really rough that week, hot and cold, coughing all over the place. It, like I say, a sense of smell and a sense of taste. She couldn't eat because she she said it's pointless eating because I can't taste anything. But she didn't have any appetite anyway. So. And, and things gradually got worse through the week. She started to have a sort of involuntary, like gasp of air, uh, gasp of sort, sort of breath every, every like, maybe every hour. She'd be suddenly she'd just go <gasps> like that, and I'd say, well, "What's happening there?" She says, I, "I don't know. It's just happening." This is in between feeling like pretty rough. But apparently, when the paramedics came, she asked what that was, and they said the paramedics said it was it was your body, your own body knowing that it needs to take more oxygen in there. So this was the, this is, was another thing that if we think if I think back to the beginning of the week when she started to have these involuntary intakes of air was when we should have gotten in touch with the hospital or getting in touch with them to say she needed to go to hospital now. But because of the way Susan was, she didn't want to put anybody to bother, she would say she'd be saying, well no, that my breathing's okay. But 
obviously it wasn't because it was she was having to take this extra oxygen in. She wouldn't have the paramedics come out until the Friday when I said, Susan, you, she was that bad that she couldn't even sit up to take a paracetamol. And I said, we've got to bring an ambulance to come and have a look at you. And that's when she went in. That's, that was the day she went into the hospital or the night she went into the hospital. How worried were you at that point? I was worried, but but not to the point that I thought she was going to pass away. I thought she'd go in the hospital. In fact, when, when she went out the door, the, I kissed her on the forehead. So I kissed her on the forehead and said, you'll be all right. I'll see you next week, man. You'll be all right. You just need a rest and some oxygen. And Did that she was the speak? last time. Did she speak to you? Was she able to speak? She didn't. She just said, I'll be all right. She just yeah. said, I'll be all right. And, and we didn't have a conversation because the... The paramedic, there was a paramedic here and there, well, two paramedics because the, the first guy turned up in his car and then the ambulance came with other paramedics. So they were trying to get her into the ambulance. What, what happened after she went to hospital? She went in on the 3rd of April. So on the 5th of April, she felt really, really poorly on the 5th of April, which was my birthday. And we had to have a, this was when we had our first conversation about, she thought she was dying. At, the, at that time, we had to have a conversation about her wishes, what she wanted, because she's only young. She's not going to die. We're only young. You don't, you, you don't expect it, but you should expect things. Living through what, what I've lived through over the last three months, you, you should expect anything to happen. But at that time, I didn't know what her wishes were. I knew she wanted to be buried, but I didn't know about hymns and where she wanted to be buried and the, the, the sort of stuff that you take for granted when people are older and you do talk about things like that, but we didn't. Anyway, we had to have that conversation on the Sunday, which wasn't a very nice conversation to have on my birthday. So she was quite clear about about those she, things? She would have known what she wanted, yeah. Well, she did know what she wanted, yeah. She and she that was our first conversation. We had to have another one later on. What an incredibly because, hard conversation for you to have. Oh, yeah, it was but terrible, right? yeah. It was, yeah. And now I, I can imagine. And Susan was by herself. Well, yeah, I mean, I was by myself in here, but I was at home. She was by herself in a in an isolation ward in a hospital. So God knows how she was feeling. She'd have been terrified. How, how strong she was to, to oh, she was she was that? strong, yeah. She was a fighter. She was fighting all the time. In fact, Sunday, um, she felt she felt as though she was really she was really struggling, and she felt that she was going to die on the Sunday. But she did seem to get better. She was getting better. But it's it's like what you hear. I've I've joined the um, yellow heart yellow cards for COVID. Yeah, the first group. But um, all the stories you hear on there, it's like. Every people seem to be getting better and then they, they get worse again for some reason. I know it's a new thing and nobody knows knows how it's affected people, but she was at one stage getting better. She once she had to have a uh, oxygen hood on on the Sunday afternoon, uh, I think the Monday, and then on the Tuesday she FaceTimed us again and she just had a little tube up her nose. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, great. You, she, She's good. You're going to be out by the end of the week. 
because she was herself was expecting to be out by the end of the week. And nurse had said to her, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. You'll be out. You'll be home by the end of the week. I'm off for four days. I'll not see you when I get back. So, so tremendous uh, relief then. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you have these emotions, you've got the, the lowest of the low and then you're high again because you think she's going to get better. And then it took a nosedive again. She needed more oxygen. She had to go back. She had to go on an air CPAP ventilator, the little one. And then she had a. She came off that. She went in there. Sorry, sorry. She went in there intensive care. They put her on a CPAP ventilator. She got better again. So they brought her back out. And then they had to, she had to go back in because she needed more oxygen. They had to keep putting her oxygen up. Then the drop of oxygen because she was looked as though she'd re- be recovering. And then on the what would be what would be the Tuesday, the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth of April, she had to go on the ventilator. And then she lasted till the Friday. So when she had to go, she went back into well, it was intensive therapy. Sorry, intensive therapy unit for quite a while. She was in for for two through two weeks before she went on the ventilator. It was the, I think it was the 27th or the 28th that she actually put on a on a proper ventilator where she was sort of not, yeah, so she was, she was heavily sedated and she lasted until the 1st of May when the, the hospital run was up and said, we can't do anything else for her, and which was the hardest, well, I've had a lot of hard, phone call, phone call conversations, but that was one of the hardest of my life. Were you able to see her? How did it, you mentioned? I was, no, I didn't have a lot of conversations with doctors. I think I, the amount that she was in hospital, a little little bit less than a full month, and I, I probably had four conversations with the doctors actually telling us what they the whole situation was one of the conversations was that um well we didn't think we had to ring you because we let susan have her phone to keep in touch with you but the sort of person that susan was she wouldn't have been telling us the truth to like to hide the truth from us because she wouldn't want us to be worried one of them conversations was the doctor ringing us up to tell us that they couldn't do anything else for her that was on the friday do I want to go in and see Susan through a window? Obviously, I couldn't speak to her because she was on the ventilator, and that was the closest I would get through a window. And I had to sort of, I was just standing trying to, um, well, I was talking to her, trying to convey my thoughts to her, but obviously, yeah, it's not going to work. But I just had to say my pace in my head to it through a window. Which was the worst. The, the whole thing about it is that I know for a fact everybody else who's been in this situation, we would all have just sat beside the bed to be with them. And then it didn't matter if, you know, we would all found our own PPE if that's what it needed to be. Nurses and doctors are going in with PPE on, so we should have been allowed to go in with our own PPE just to be with them and give them the dignity of being with somebody who they loved in the the worst time of their life. And so she was obviously in a private room, was she? And then you, there was just um, a window into the room and you just could see her through the glass, was it? 
Yeah, that's right, yeah. And she was sedated at the time? Yeah, she was sedated, yeah. She still had the... um, Obviously, it just looked like Susan asleep, but she had the ventilator tubes in the throat, in the mouth. So it it wasn't a case that she could hear your words? No, she couldn't hear me words at all, no. She was totally out of it. There was a nurse there. The nurse was being lovely, though. She was just rubbing her hands and rubbing her head, but it's not... She doesn't know the nurse, but, you know, I wanted to be with her. Of course, that's so hard. That's so hard. Do you recall the last conversation you had with her? She said, um, well, she told us that she loved us, and she said, the doctors told her she's got to go on a ventilator or she'll die. She said, I love you, I'll bait this, and I'll say you're on the other side. On the other side of illness, not on the other side of... Yeah. Wherever more. Yeah. Incredibly strong again and she, posi- she, she positive. Was a strong woman. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. She wasn't um, particularly religious, but she had strong spiritual beliefs. How do you feel about the fact that you couldn't say goodbye to her? I'm gutted. Tell me about what happened afterwards. Were you. Able to do a funeral? The church, obviously, the churches have been shut, so there was, a, a, there was 12 people allowed around the grave to, to have a small, like a small gathering to see how, say, to send her off on a journey. But the actual, I mean, it was very sad, the dear, but if you saw the, the amount of flowers that she had and the amount of people that were because she, she was loved by a multitude of people. Everybody from the close where we live, they were all standing out, clapping her off in the hearse, because the curse left from home. And up the top of the street, there must have been 200 people standing up the road, clapping. And then when we actually got over to the cemetery, again, there was over 100 people just spread about in the cemetery, just just clapping her as she came into the cemetery, into the graveyard. It was lovely. She would have liked a, a traditional funeral because she was a traditional type of girl. But if she could, she would have been proud to see what was happening on the day. And to be fair, it was lovely. It was a lovely day. The amount of flowers she got was it was unreal. The, the hearse was full of flowers and the, the roof of the hearse was completely covered with flowers. A great Amazing. show of support. Yeah, I've got a photograph on me, um, me phone of all the flowers. I'll send you there on the grave when when it, when she was interned. Thank I'll you. Send it to you one day. So, were one you day. able to to fulfil some of her wishes that she'd mentioned to you from the hospital yeah. in terms of? Well, a mum passed away three year ago, and she said one of one on the second conversation we had. She said, well, "Will you see see if you can get as close to me, ma'am? As you can, and at the very least, try and get as close to Andy Elderhood. She'd only recently passed away, I think it was about 18 months after after a mum, so that's a mum's sister. But as it happens, I've managed to get a grave right in front of a mum, so she's like at a better mum's fate. Oh, fabulous. That must be a big she comfort. Would open, she would be over the moon with that. Yeah, well done. If you could go back and change anything, what would oh. it be? Oh, there would be all sorts of stuff that I wouldn't want to change. 
all sorts of things. You know, when when you think of, I could have done this better and I could have done that better and I should have done this and I should have done that. But I think, uh, I, I don't know, I would want to, I just would want her to be here. So just protect her before she got this virus. I don't know how it would possibly have done it, but that's what I would want to change. I wouldn't want to change anything about Susan because she was lovely anyway. And what are the emotions that you're left feeling now? Oh, all sorts. Anger. Anger at the, at the government because I think they could have handled things totally different. Sadness because, not for me, but sadness of, for what Susan had to go through and, and the, the fight she had to put up. And she still ended up dying, so she could should have just went on a ventilator straight away instead of because she had a, she had a conversation with the doctors and they were asking, well, do you want to go on this ventilator or do you want to go on that ventilator? And if they'd just done this in the first place, put it on on the ventilator, then she would have had her have relaxed and been asleep. But because of the sort of person she was, when she was in the hospital, she's ringing all her friends and FaceTiming her friends and her friends are ringing her and FaceTiming her. So she didn't get the relaxation that she should have had the rest in the recuperation. Yeah. I think they shouldn't have given her, give her a phone. I think rather than waiting until you, you have trouble breathing, I think people should have been going into hospital earlier. I think the government have seen what's, what's happened in Italy and they've panicked and they've thought, oh, we don't want our national health to get into this situation. We'll tell people to stay at home until the last possible minute. And I personally think that was the wrong thing to do because if Susan Susan should have gone into hospital five days earlier than she did, but it was only because she didn't want to put pressure on the NHS because she thought she could breathe properly. Well, in fact, she couldn't breathe properly because she had these involuntary gasps of breath. So to me, she should have gone in, they're telling people to do all the wrong, they should have been doing things quicker than they did. What would you like to see happen now, just in terms of the way the government has and is handling things? I think there could be a full inquiry into why things haven't gone. Why? Why we? Why we? We've got the most deaths in Europe than everywhere else. Why? When? When we were? When we supposed to have the best national health in the world? I think we definitely need a full inquiry. What's the one thing you wish people understood about what you've been through? I wish they could, the the felt the the pain that you feel when you're having to go through this, not just me, Susan's son, my two daughters, all the lovely friends, half the people the people think it's it's all over with, and and the night there when you when you look at the pictures in of Soho the other night when they're all when the streets are absolutely crowded, and it's just crazy, it's scary, and obviously. You know, I'm sure you plan to retire with Susan. Well, yeah. To spend your, you know the rest of your days together, and the fact that she was taken by COVID nineteen and in the manner that she was taken. Yeah. Can you sum that up? Can you express just how awful that's been? Yeah. Well, I just feel like I'm I'm not bothered anymore. That's I wouldn't cause any pain or injury to myself I wouldn't I'm not that sort of person but I do feel as though 
if I got an incurable disease, I wouldn't be bothered. I'd be with Susan. That's how much pain I feel. Neil, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. I know it's an incredibly hard time and to speak, you know, so fully about her. Um, very brave, very strong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.